Good morning, church. Take your Bible and go to Galatians chapter 3, if you will, please. Go to Galatians and the third chapter. If you brought your Bible today, go ahead and limber up your fingers because we're going we're gonna to be all around the New Testament. We're going to go back and forth and back and forth, seven or eight different passages. Today is much more like a lesson, a Bible lesson or a Bible study than it is a message. Uh, but I hope to teach you something uh, that is valuable, teach you something that literally can change your life, far more so than a New Year's resolution. Uh, I'm just curious, I wonder how many of us have stuck to our New Year's resolution for 2023. Uh, if you made a New Year's resolution, or two or three for 2023, and you've already watched it fall to the wayside, you're not alone. Uh, don't beat yourself up. Uh, the number's pretty high. The number's like 87% of Americans who make New Year's resolutions hold on to them past 20 days. Well, we're on day 15. We're just getting started in the new year, and if you have failed to live up to one of your New Year's resolutions, again, you're not alone. Social media reveals that resolutions are dropping like flies. Uh, I came across one tweet. The person tweeted, I already broke my New Year's resolution not to argue with morons online. Another one tweeted, I already broke my New Year's resolution to use the daily shower spray daily. Do you use this stuff? We have this stuff in our camper. You know, you finish showering and you, you get out to keep your shower clean. You, you spray it down. Don't get it on the floor. It makes the floor of your sh shower very slippery. You will bust your fanny, I promise. Uh, here's number three. I already broke my New Year's resolution not to eat a whole pizza after saying, eh, it's not that great, only two bites into it. I just love that one for some reason, probably because I've done that. Eh, it's not too great. And then the next thing you know, the whole pizza's gone. I already broke my New Year's resolution to go vegan for six months and then give up. That person saw the finish line out there. They knew they weren't going to make it, but they've already given up. Here's one of my favorites. I already broke my New Year's resolution to do enough yoga to justify wearing yoga pants. That's pretty good. Okay, follow me, church. New Me is not a New Year's resolution series, okay? Let's get that straight from the outset. New Me is not a New Year's resolution series. New Me is a real life change series. Think about it. A brand new year lay before us. It's like a freshly fallen snow. Tyler told me Friday night when he took all his kids up there to that ski lodge, six inches of snow fell, and they got to enjoy that fresh snow all day on Saturday. 2023 lay before us like a freshly fallen snow. There's not a footprint in it. And somehow, psychologically, we are reminded that we can change this year for the better. 2023 could be the best year of your life, believe it or not. Tell you what, you want a good, mess, uh, good discussion at dinner? Sit around the dinner table and, 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 and discuss whether or not real life change is possible. I mean, you can chew on that for a while. You get a group of a, a diverse adults around a dinner table, start kicking around the idea as to whether or not real life change actually occurs. Many will say it doesn't. People never change. In fact, the older and crustier we get, the more we look at humanity and we say people aren't going to change. No one really changes. But I got to tell you, as a minister of the gospel, my theology tells me that people really can change. Real life change can occur. My theology tells me that in Christ, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things, all possibilities become new. Not only that, in my line of work for the last several decades, we've got to witness real life change 
on more than a few occasions. Now, it's rarely as dramatic as we'd wish. It rarely happens as quickly as we'd hoped. But real life change can occur. Nobody's going to write a made-for-TV Hollywood miniseries about real-life change because more often than not, it's just not as compelling as we would like to see. However, it happens. It's real. It can happen for you. 2023 could be your best year yet. You could be better. You could do better. You could become more in 2023. The question we posted last time is very simple. Can you see it? Can you see the change? Can you see it out there? In fact, that's how we kicked off the message. What do you see in 2023? What do you see for your home? What do you see for your marriage? What do you see for your money and finances and resources? What do you see for your employment? What do you see for your health and well-being? What do you see for your own personal faith walk? The big idea last time was this. In life, we see what we're prepared to see. And typically, what we see is what we get. In life, we see what we're prepared to see And what we see is often what we get. If you're not prepared to see it, no matter what it is, if you don't see it, you're not going to achieve it. If you can't see it out there in the future, somewhere, somehow, some way, you're never going to accomplish it. You see, if I can't imagine myself 15 pounds lighter and healthier, there's no way in the world I'm ever going to reach that goal. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to get healthy. Let's be honest. One of the reasons America lived in fear and anxiety for two and a half years over a virus was because we're not healthy. The best thing you could do for your body to ward off any kind of flu, any kind of COVID, any kind of uh, divergent factor of COVID is be healthy. Take care of your body. Moms, it's time to examine the food you feed to your children. Childhood obesity in America is out of control. A healthy you, a healthier body in 2023 is better than any vaccine. It's better than any booster shot. Take care of yourself. If you can't see a stronger marriage in 2023, (laughs) it's probably not going to happen. If you can't visualize a, a, a more unified home, a stronger family unit, if you can't see it, you're never going to accomplish it. I had a guy tell me recently, Mike, last year, January of 2022, I vowed that I was going to get healthy. And I started walking 15 minutes a day through my neighborhood as fast as I can walk. And now I'm not taking blood pressure medication anymore. I'm not taking blood thinner anymore. You see, you got to remember, church, the only person in the world that you can really change is you. We live in a culture that is hell-bent on changing everyone and everything else, but we never look at ourselves. Everybody wants to change the world But nobody thinks to start changing themselves. You see, in life, we see what we're prepared to see. And typically, what we see, well, that's what we get. Last time, I introduced you to four kinds of people. They come from John Maxwell's book on leadership. Some people never see it. They're called wanderers. They stumble through life from one relationship to the next, one failed marriage to the next, one problem after another, because they never see it, much less achieve it. Then there are the followers. The followers are people who see it, but they never pursue it on their own. Then some people see it, and they pursue it. We call them achievers. And then some people see it, pursue it, and help other people to see it. We call them leaders. Last time, we dealt with the wanderers. Wanderers fail to see it. 
wanderers stumble in and out of one difficult situation after another because they never see the goal. They never see the target. And if you can't see it, you'll never hit it. Every circumstance of consequence in our lives, church, demands vision. If you're in a dark or difficult season in your life, if things just aren't going your way, you have to be able to see a way through. You have to be able to see better and brighter days ahead in order for you to build them, in order for you to reach them. Wanderers lack vision. Today, we're going to turn our attention to the followers. Followers can see it, but they never get around to pursuing it. Followers know it's out there, There's a better marriage for me. There's a stronger union in my home, but maybe it's not for me. Followers can see where they ought be going, but they can't get motivated to go and get it. That's for someone else, they think. That's not for me. Followers want to believe a stronger faith walk is possible, but it's just not for them. Now, follow me. In order for followers to become achievers, to grasp some of the goals, some of the dreams they can clearly see, goals and dreams that God himself may have laid before them, in order for a follower to go out there and achieve it, a follower has to overcome his greatest enemy, excuses. Excuses are holding you back. Followers are expert excuse makers. Followers, though they can see it, they never pursue it on their own because they have an excuse as to why it's just not for them. And followers will try to pass off excuses as reasons. Reasons seem more valid than excuses, so we call our excuses reasons or we dress up our reasons as excuses. When I was a little boy, my mother used to say, Michael, stop making excuses. Excuses are nothing more than reasons packed full of lies, she used to say. The older I get, the more I realize how true that is. And some people come up with elaborate excuses as to why they don't serve, why they don't give, why they don't engage their faith walk, why they don't work at their marriage, why their body is unhealthy. They have elaborate excuses. You see, that's what we do with excuses. We take an internal reason and we blame it on an external excuse, right? I know I should, but, and then here comes our excuse. I know you're right, but... And then here comes our excuse. Well, I just can't because, and then here comes our excuse. Most of the time, our reasons are excuses that are only dressed up to look like reasons. Church, stop making excuses. Be honest with yourself. You see, that's what's really happening. We know the reason, but we don't like the reason. We don't like that about ourselves. We certainly don't want others to know that about ourselves. And so we package that reason as an excuse. We blame something internal on something external. We say, well, I'd like to, but I'm just too busy. That's our excuse. The truth is, our reason is we're just too lazy. That's the reason. We say, well, that's just not me. That's our excuse. Truth is, I'm afraid. I don't want to fail. That's the reason. You see, we say, someone else could do a much better job at that than I could. That's our excuse. Truth is, my reason, I'm just not interested in what you're asking me to do. Look, here's the big idea for today. 
To accomplish meaningful goals in our faith walk, we need the proper motivation. To accomplish meaningful goals in our faith walk, you need the proper motivation. Let me ask you a very simple question. Why are you here right now? Why are you here? What motivated you this morning to get up and get your family together, get everybody dressed and fed, jump in the car, and drive to the church? Why do you do what you do? Why do you chase what you're chasing? Why do you go after what you're going after? Today, we're going to talk about motivation because followers lack motivation. It's out there and they know it. Whatever it is, it's meaningful, but a follower lacks the motivation or at least the proper motivation to go out there and get it. If you're going to accomplish anything meaningful or significant in your faith walk, you need the proper motivation. So why do we serve God? Why do we give a prioritized percentage of our income to God's work in the local church? Why do we put people on airplanes and fly them halfway around the world to minister in Kenya? Why do we build buildings to fill them with children? Why do we do what we do? Why does a couple engage in marriage counseling? Why does someone pursue and look after financial counseling? Why do we seek advice? Why do we try and go after something bigger and better than we've known? Why do we do it? What is motivating you? Truth is, some of the motivations are not worthy of God for Christ's followers. You might reach a similar outcome with an improper motivation, but the results and the process is very different. You see, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the difference between worthy motivations and unworthy motivations. Now, I want to show you something, at least three unworthy motivations followed by four proper motivations. The first one, unworthy motivation, is legalism, and it comes from Galatians chapter 3. Some people try to serve God. Some people try to go after something good in hopes that it'll either earn them eternal salvation or help them hang on to it. There are plenty of legalistic churches in our community. In a legalistic environment, everybody looks the same. The goal is that we all look alike. We all dress alike and talk alike. We all like the same things. We all avoid the same things. In order to fit in with a religious crowd, we try and act a certain way. Fact is, in legalism, we care far more what people think than we could ever care what God thinks. Paul was fighting legalism in the church at Galatia. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. You foolish Galatians. Can you imagine if I started a sermon like that? You foolish church members. Can you imagine? I mean, that's pretty strong language. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Remember, the Galatians thought that they had to do something, they had to earn something, they had to win the favor of God based upon how good a person they could become. Paul is reminding them that the core of our faith is not how good a person I am or what I can manage to accomplish. The core of my faith is Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. Verse 2, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard. In other words, did God's spirit enter your body at the moment of conversion because you were such a good person and had somehow earned it by keeping the law? Does everybody at Grace understand that the only reason God gave the Old Testament law was to convince his people that they could never keep it? 
The only reason God gave all those rules and regulations and order was to convince humanity that we could never, ever manufacture on our own our own personal righteousness. We can't do it. We need a sacrifice. We need a savior, not another rule. Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? That, my friend, is legalism. Authentic faith in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but then I've got to add something religious. You look around the church and you can see them. They're followers whose only motivation is what other people might think of them, fitting in with other people. They're trapped. Paul calls it bondage in the book of Galatians. Legalism is not a proper motivation for a follower of Christ to go after anything. Here's another one. Number two is false guilt. Turn ahead in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, go to Colossians Chapter 2 and verse 13. You see, a failure to trust God to forgive all my sin leads to false guilt. Like, okay, I know Jesus died and I know he saved me, but I still carry around an enormous amount of shame and guilt for all my failure. Paul wanted the church at Colossae to understand that false guilt is not for followers of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul wrote, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Remember, circumcision in the Old Testament began with Abram. Circumcision was an exterior symbol of God setting apart his people. God wanted his people not to resemble the pagans that surrounded them. So here Paul is saying, remember when you were on the outside part of the, quote, uncircumcision and you were looking in. Did the law save you or did Christ? Keep reading. He said, you were made alive in Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Listen to these words, words of finality, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, we made, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through the cross. You see, some people feel like they got to work to earn God's favor after being forgiven for their sin. We call that penance. Like, okay, again, God saved me, but I failed since then. Do you know that the Bible teaches in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, amongst other verses, that every morning can be a brand new beginning for every follower of Jesus Christ. Every failure can be followed by sincere confession. And John wrote, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us, not from some, but all of our unrighteousness. So there's no reason for you as a follower of Jesus Christ to carry around an enormous load of guilt or shame. When you fall down, get back up, sincerely confess, and go on. False guilt is not a proper motivation. Here's number three. Turn back to Matthew chapter five, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's talk about self-seeking or self-advancement or self-aggrandizement. Some people do what they do for selfish reasons. It's the financial gain. It's the preeminence. It's the authority. It's the power. There are men and women in ministry in the United States of America who are motivated by selfish gain. 
self-seeking. It's the power. It's the authority. It's the respect they feel. That's why they do it. That's what motivates them. Paul dealt with that in the first century church. Jesus dealt with it with the Pharisees. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 cover Jesus' first public sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in the sermon, chapter 6 and verse 5, he teaches us how to pray. He gives us the model prayer. Look at verse 5 of Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Those were the Pharisees, the professional religious supermen. Do not be like the Pharisees, the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Feels good to be recognized, doesn't it? What a powerful prayer this morning. Oh, the words you pulled from the air touched my heart and motivated my spirit. Guess what? That's as good as it gets for a person who's self-seeking. If their motivation is self-gain, that's as good as it gets. A pat on the back, an attaboy from some religious person, that's as good as it gets. Watch. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. That's it. That's all they get. A well done, an attaboy from some religious person. Look, if that's what's motivating us in our church, in service, in sacrifice, no wonder so many people burn out. If you're motivated by selfish gain, trust me, it is not going to last. All three of those are improper, unworthy motivations. They're Ill illegitimate. Now let's talk about worthy motivations. Because over and over again, especially in the New Testament, we are pointed to clear, proper motivations that are worthy of God and others. The first, and we have to begin with this, is love. The first is love. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Go ahead in your Bible toward the end of Matthew. Go to chapter 22. Love, of course, includes first a love for God and then a love for the things God loves. So if I'm motivated by love, then I'm motivated by my love for God and my love for others. A Christ follower who's motivated by love works for the benefit, serves for the benefit, gives for the benefit of the one who is loved. Love for God is often demonstrated through obedience. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 21, he said, men, to his disciples, if you love me, then keep my commandments. It's just that simple. Love is a proper, worthy motivation. Now, now men, follow me here because I'm a man too, and I get that when you think about your relationship with God, you don't first think of love, okay? Think of it as a response, Love is a response to God. Look at Matthew 22 and verse 37. Jesus was asked of all the commandments, and there were 613 at this time. Of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the greatest? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He's quoting the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Old Testament, a sacred command of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He goes on. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So everything I do should demonstrate honor for God, respect and response to God, and respect for others. All the law and the prophets, those two things were very, very sacred to the Pharisees, to the Jewish audience, hang on these two Commands. Look, love expresses itself in a desire 
to glorify God, to shine a nice light, a good godly light back to God. Encourage and respect others to please and know God. And again, love for God also means love for what God loves. Love for unlovable people. Here's what I try to remind myself, because some people are just hard to love, right? They're just hard to love. And sometimes you can meet a person, and in the first five minutes, you're thinking, I could never love this person. It doesn't mean I can't like them. It doesn't mean I can't respect them. Doesn't mean I can't honor them. Doesn't mean I can't be courteous to them. Love. That's the first proper motivation. Here's the second gratitude. Gratitude. Turn ahead in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. If you're not aware or familiar with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you need to get acquainted. These two verses ought to be memorized by followers of Jesus Christ. These two verses encapsulate what following Jesus is all about. What does it look like? What am I supposed to be doing? What am I shooting for? Where am I aiming? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. Because we benefit from God's actions, because I'm overwhelmed by what God has done for me, the gratitude in me wells up and it causes me to give back. It causes me to serve. It causes me to go. Look at Romans 12, verse 1, therefore, Paul wrote, I urge you, very strong word there, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, let's just stop and think for a moment about God's mercy. Let's stop and consider that whatever good I have in my life that comes from God, I didn't earn it. I didn't back God into a corner so that he was forced to bless me or even save me. No, that's not how it works. He is merciful. It is by his grace. It is through his mercy that I even have an audience with my creator. Offer then your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what it's about. That's something to shoot for. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Gratitude is a worthy response to all that God has done. At least part of the reason that I do what I do is gratitude for what God has done for me. God did for me what I couldn't have done on my own. God not only blesses me in this life, but he has secured my future with him in the next life. Here's worthy response number three, eternal reward. Go back to Matthew chapter 16 this time. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, eternal reward. I'll tell you what motivates some to go after it, whatever it is, the fact that we can be blessed in this life and eternally rewarded in the next life. And you're thinking, well, that seems kind of self-serving, doesn't it? Not if the reason you're doing it or going after it is to bring glory to God. If the reason you're earning or gaining the reward is to then glorify God. Do you know there's a part in the Bible, book of Revelation, says one day when God rewards us, we're going to be so overwhelmed by the rewards in heaven that we're going to cast our crowns back at his feet. We're going to want to give it all back. Because we're going to be feeling as though it's only because of you and what you did for me that I was motivated to go after anything good in this life. Rewards. Look at uh, Matthew 16 and verse 26. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Boy, that is a great question, timeless question. It's never been more appropriate or culturally relevant than it is today. What good is it if you make enough money you could never spend it all, but you lose your own soul? What good is that? 
What good is it if you are the envy of all of your friends because you've got the best house and you drive the newest car and your kids go to the finest school? What good is any of that if you forfeit your own soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Verse 27, for the Son of Man, Jesus is talking about himself, is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus said that the goal in life is breathtakingly simple. It's to be rich toward God, not rich toward yourself. And so while God says the real focus ought to be on the next life, we continue to wrap ourselves up in this life. Here's reason number four, and I'll wrap this up. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Where will these rewards, when will these rewards take place? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The fourth worthy motivation to go after anything of significance in this life is duty and reverence. Now, I'm not sure that duty or reverence speaks to our culture the way it once did to our ancestors, because ours is the every child's a winner. You get a participation trophy just for showing up culture, right? But many, many years ago, people were driven to go after good and godly things in their lives out of reverence for God and his process. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord. Reverence for God is the beginning of all wisdom. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Paul wrote, so we make it our goal to please him. Very simple question. Of your top five goals for 2023, is pleasing God, honoring God one of them? It was for Paul. We make it our goal to please God, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Reverence or respect for God and his process, that's duty. You see, some go after good and godly things not because they're touchy-feely, kind of driven by some sort of love relationship with God. No, they go after them because they feel commanded. They feel committed. They, 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 they feel called to go after them. Three improper motivations and four worthy motivations. Remember, if you're like me, you're not looking to be disciplined by God in this life. You're looking to be rewarded. I'm not looking for God's correction. I'm looking for God's blessing. So I'm going to respond out of duty, out of responsibility in my home, to lead in my home, to point my family to Jesus Christ, to be as honest and open and transparent about my faith, about my doubts, about my struggles, about my failures as I possibly can. Look, one last thing and I'll quit. There's no stopping a follower of Jesus Christ with proper motivation. There's no stopping. But, but, you got to leave those excuses behind. Here's why. Because there is a strong relationship between your excuses and your faith walk. There's a strong correlation between your excuses, well, I'd like to, but, well, I know I should, but, and your faith walk. You see, your excuses will literally battle for lordship in your life. Think about it. Your life can revolve around why you can't. It can revolve around why you shouldn't. 
It can revolve around your excuses or, or it can revolve around Jesus Christ. You can serve your excuses or you can serve the Son of God. You can be properly motivated in your faith walk and bring about real life change. I believe that it's healthy to every now and then just pause and evaluate our motivations for service. What's motivating you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that when we leave here, we recognize that battle for our affection, our intention, that battle for our focus. Father, I pray we don't walk out of here and continue to allow our lives to revolve around our excuses, why we can't, why we shouldn't. I pray more importantly, Father, that one of these proper motivations would just inspire us to go after what you've shown us. Father, grant wanderers the vision to see and grant followers the motivation to pursue, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. Hope you make it a fantastic week. I will see you next time.